520. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or by checking Checking us out at patreon.com slash spiritblade productions. On the show today, my thoughts on the first eight hours of Dragon Quest XI, a look at why Batman Year One is my pick for the essential Batman origin story, plus a look at why it's worth it to remember and obey God's words as we continue in the book of Hebrews. Here we go. This week I put up my uh, trial and error review for Dragon Quest XI Echoes of an Elusive Age. That's over at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral. And in those videos I play the first five hours of a game and just kind of give you my thoughts along the way. Uh, but that's that content doesn't really translate to podcast format very well. So I'm just going to kind of recap some of the thoughts that I shared in that video, but then also share some additional thoughts based on having played uh, about two or three more hours of the game since um, finishing recording that video and and uploading it. Um, I am... Uh, not a huge Dragon Quest fan, but I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for the franchise. I played the original Dragon Warrior, as it was called in uh, the the United States, on the on the original NES, and really enjoyed it. And but I mean, I didn't. I, I wouldn't say that I was like head over heels in love with it. I think I was ready to move on as soon as Final Fantasy came along. I was like, okay, well, this is clearly more w- w- up my alley than than Dragon Warrior was. And so I never really went back and played the other Dragon Warrior games that were available on the NES. Eventually, though, years later, um, after being married, I had a PS2 and Dragon Quest Eight. Uh, was coming out. I, I didn't. I didn't play Dragon Quest Seven on the original PlayStation One. I thought about it, never quite got around to it. And by the time I was really interested in pursuing it, it was so hard to find because it was a really limited release uh, in the United States. But they did a much better job in distribution for uh, Dragon Quest Eight, and uh, I definitely got my hands on that. And I rediscovered my love for that kind of gameplay. And it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Excuse me, because. That game hasn't changed much at all, which I discovered uh, not only because of the the retro callbacks in Dragon Quest VIII, but having enjoyed that game so much, I went back and played the the DS remakes of most of the Dragon Quest games that I had skipped um, and discovered that the gameplay was, I mean, very similar. Um, whereas Final Fantasy has evolved and changed over the years with an active time battle system and now like just an out and out real time action RPG kind of thing going on with uh, the the most recent installment of that series. Dragon Quest, it, I mean, this thing still plays in many ways like Dragon Warrior 1, you know. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I am sometimes in the mood for a kind of uh, turn-based uh, RPG that's lightly tactical. I don't want a brain-burning experience at the end of my workday like, say, Divinity Original Sin. Um, but uh, Dragon the Dragon Quest games are usually right about in the sweet spot of what my brain is interested in doing. So I was definitely looking forward to this game. Going back and revisiting Dragon Quest VIII a couple months ago reminded me, yes, I am totally ready for this kind of experience. But I was a little surprised by what I got in Dragon Quest XI. Um, Namely, how easy 
the fighting the the enemies are in the first few hours of the game. I had gotten used to like playing these games a certain way where you go to every new town, you talk to every person you can, you dig through all their crap in their house, you open up everything they have, you search for every resource that you can find because they hide them, you know, all over town and in people's houses and stuff. Because you're going to need that at some point. Um, there will be some kind of uh, uh, a little bit of a spike in difficulty at some point. Um, but I was surprised, I guess, at just how really easy it was in the opening hours. And I remember that kind of being the case, I think, with Dragon Quest Eight, but not as long as it as it hung on that easy difficulty in in Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, I it wasn't until. I want to say at least three hours in, but probably closer to like four or five hours in that I, I, it was just super easy, super easy. I, you know, I, every once in a while I'd run into an enemy that I was like, Oh, okay. This guy's giving me, you know, not, not a challenge, but you know, I'm having to think a little bit about my decisions, but that those were few and far between the normative experience for me was that these things are just, I'm, I can almost just spam the attack button which is a bummer because I feel like that's, you know, turn-based RPGs kind of get a bad rap for being boring. And I think that Final Fantasy kind of made them uh, boring to me ultimately, not at first, but ultimately by because of the active time battle system. Um, anyway, I won't get into all that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just... If I could go back in time, I would tell myself to basically make a beeline through the quest lines through the main quest early on only talk to people in towns who are actually quest givers as uh, denoted by their uh, their purple dots on the mini map um or people that you know are quest helpers that will you know give you hints on where you need to go next those are the pink dots on your mini map and don't go digging around looking for goodies in anybody's house because you don't want any extra cash, you don't want to be, you don't want any ad- advantages that you can find for yourself at the beginning of this game, and this is for someone that's already familiar, you know, with turn-based RPGs, you know, old-school turn-based RPGs, you know, um, for someone who's like brand new, who's never like, what the crap is a turn-based RPG? Then I can see the opening hours of this game possibly being inviting because they're not going to know to go digging around in people's crap anyway, um, and it it also gives them just kind of an easier experience, I suppose. But anyway, I would also tell myself, Pater, um, fight each enemy once. Each enemy, like you fight a blue a blue slime on the map. D- okay, now from now on, run away from blue slimes. And just keep doing that until you come across an enemy that starts providing you some challenge. And then maybe you can start just coming, just fighting all the enemies that you happen to run across. But at the very least, do not go searching out combat as though you're going to need to start grinding right away. Um, and that is part of what I enjoy about the Dragon Quest series is that at some point, not too far into most of them, you are going to be required to do some grinding. And that's what I play these games for, for the battle system, for the light tactical choices that I have to make, because I, there's always this economy of magic points to keep track of of finite healing items to keep track of. And unlike uh, a lot of RPGs, your characters in your party don't uh, all have access to the, the, the pack, the, the, the group shared pack of, you know, infinite uh, capacity <laughs> that you can stuff all your items into, you know. Uh, no, each person, they've got so many slots on their person <laughs> um and you can use you know the, and healing items don't stack so if you want to have three healing items that one of your characters can use it's going to take up three slots that they as far as the slots they immediately have access to in combat so there's like tactical there's strategic decisions to make as you're figuring out what they're going to actually have on their belts as it were uh to go out fighting there are choices to make of okay should I use a one of my finite healing items or would I be better off casting a spell because I've you know finite magic points um should at what point in this battle should I heal myself is it really worth it to heal myself yet or can I make it 
get a few more rounds and just focus on dealing damage because if you don't balance that right you can get yourself into a loop where uh, you, you just end up wasting your your healing items sometimes they'll the, the enemies will heal themselves and so you have to factor that in you know so there's just there's usually more interesting choices that have to do with the um, economic use of your supplies when you're uh, grinding or whatever and uh, I didn't really hit that groove of that kind of gameplay until about five to six hours in, um, which was a bummer. And I think I could have experienced some of it early on again if I hadn't done what I thought, you know, what seemed natural to do that I've done in every other Dragon Quest game, which is grind a little bit as soon as you get the chance to do that, you know. Um, so anyway, that, that was unusual. Aesthetically, you would think that I would not be into this game at all. I hate anime. It's very much inspired by anime, both in terms of the art style, the way that the characters are animated, you know, the way they physically behave is way over-exaggerated. Their voices are way over-inflected, you know. Uh, it's all that kind of stuff uh, that, that, I, that really irritates me about anime. And, so you, and, and, it's, and it's bright and colorful, and the, the slimes that you fight, the enemies you fight, have these big grins on their faces. They're very pleasant and cheerful and happy to look at, you know, um, even the worst of the bad guys still look very cartoony, you know, so if you've heard me talk about like my preferences in movies and stories and fiction in general, I tend to like stuff that's dark and it really, I, th I think really is nostalgia. I, I have to assume because I don't, in I don't seek out or enjoy any other fiction like this or games any media like this dragon quest builders i enjoyed and it had the same aesthetic um of course your sprites were a little more um i don't know diminutive i don't know if it makes a difference that these are slightly more proportioned like normal humans in dragon quest 11 um but they're still like totally gesticulating and being just oh my gosh over the top anime anyway um i I turned the voice acting off. I definitely did that. Uh, I could not endure. <laughs> and that was that was even before they introduced some of the more wacky and wild and, you know, silly characters, you know, that I'm sure other people will really like. And I don't look down on anybody for liking those characters. Just, I, it's not my thing at all. I can't do it. Um, and, and I explain why a little bit in the video, um, what, what that's all about. But um, yeah, turning the voice acting off really made a, a big difference for me, but there's still a little too much kind of like story stuff for me to, to want to like spend a lot of time doing anything other than combat. I mean, like if I'm in a, if I'm in a town, the, the cutscenes are, you know, whatever, you know, I, so I kind of want to skip through them pretty fast. And I, I, I've, I've, yeah, I've figured out that beelining the quest as much as I can um, is, is what's going to be helpful to me. Because talking to townspeople, um, you know, spending much time doing anything more than skimming the dialogue in the cutscenes, it Im immerses me in an aesthetic that uh, it, I find grating. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I would comment on aesthetically, well, two things. One would be, you know, that the, all the callbacks are back, so they, they still use retro sound effects from almost like the original Dragon Quest so that when you're when you're walking on the the you know the overworld map, you know they have updated foley sound effects for your footsteps and your boot crunches, which of course I like. But for example, when you're transitioning from one part of a dungeon to another, then they pipe in uh, that that old you know sounding from the original NES. Uh, you know, walking sounds when you would enter into a dungeon or something like that. And when there are, like, enemies make attacks, right before their attack, you hear, bloop, 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 you know, this little, like, retro beeping sound. So, you know, they're, they're definitely appealing to nostalgia a lot. I mean, this game is a huge phenomenon in Japan. And so it makes, I get why they haven't changed it, because while American audiences really haven't grabbed this series with any kind of like a fervor, uh, man, it's it's a big deal in, in Japan. So I don't begrudge them for, you know, hanging on to these retro callbacks. I'm thinking that would be, that must be a really cool thing for people who grew up and are now middle-aged and grew up playing this game. And it's just something they can keep coming back to. And it has these, you know, hallmarks. So I, I think that's really cool. But anyway, the, the thing that I do have trouble with that's kind of a retro callback is the score. Um, they're still using the MIDI, the 90s sounding MIDI score that they 
used in Dragon Quest Builders, and this, after Dragon Quest VIII being brought over to the United States, was upgraded with a live orchestral score. You know, I think it really appeals to the nostalgia in the uh, the Japanese audience to keep it kind of a MIDI sound, which is still more advanced sounding than the bleep bloop bleep music of like the original NES Dragon Quest games. Um, but, you know, I, it looks like they're only willing to advance it so far. They want to hang on to some kind of a simplistic, trivial uh, feel. And trivial is the, the word that comes to mind during some of these you know, intense cutscenes where the color palette gets all kind of like cool, dark, and muted, and, um, uh, and they're going clearly for a serious vibe in this moment, and yet the music sounds ridiculous to me. It trivializes those those moments. Um, so that's a bummer, but I discovered that I can also turn the music down all the way if I want to, but I found it's enough to just bring it to about the halfway point. So it's just kind of like this somewhat faded in the background, supplemental, you know, uh, aesthetic element, but it's not like this dominating, driving, um, mood-setting thing for me uh, as I play the game. So, you know, I, I, I can get around it. Now, I've been, I've, I feel like I've been talking the game down a lot, but the truth is... Once I work out the balance issues, I'm still getting a lot of what I want from a Dragon Quest game now that I've uh, kind of uh, run away from enemies enough to get to the point where I'm not overleveled. In fact, I've even found myself underleveled a time or two. Um, And, you know, there. So I found a good balance, I think, but there's still a big difference between the difficulty of your standard enemies. And the difficulty of a boss. I like for there to be a little bit more similarity in difficulty. I still like a jump upward in difficulty, of course, for a boss. That makes it more epic and stuff. But it's the point where, you know, with one boss, I was able to go all the way through the area leading up to the boss with my guys just on their auto attack AI options. Where I didn't do anything. The battle was controlled for me. And then I got to the boss and was completely wiped out, you know. And so I had to go grind for like three levels and, uh, you know, of basically mindless auto attacking, you know, because they have these AI settings that will allow you to give basic AI protocols to your party members, and it takes care of a lot of the combat for you. Um, And so I did that to level up, and then I got back to the boss fight, and it was still very challenging, but I was able to defeat it after, you know, grinding and leveling up all my guys by three levels. Um, So what does that mean? It means that going forward, uh, the Dragon Quest XI experience looks like it's going to be a very casual um, experience when I'm traveling in dungeons and the overworld map and stuff, and I'll really only be properly engaged when I am taking on a boss fight. Now, maybe that'll change. I've also heard that, like, after you finish the campaign, uh, there's, like, a huge, uh, long-running post-game kind of, like, content, and it's even story-based in some way. I don't know anything more about it than that, but uh, and I've heard that that is definitely has some difficulty. But again, I've also heard that it's largely with the bosses, that you just kind of have to grind, and then the bosses have these huge, huge spikes of difficulty. So, um, where does this leave me? It means that I will probably continue to play it for at least a few more nights, and maybe get to about the 15-hour mark, maybe. I would guess that I'll stay interested until at least that long. I'm probably about at the 9-hour, 8- or 9-hour mark right right now. I can't remember. I think I'll probably stick with it, you know, for a few more hours. But I'm guessing if if nothing changes, then when I hit that 15-hour mark, I'll just want to move on to other things. Um, In fact, there's a game coming out that's a much lower-budget title, uh, coming out of Japan, I think it's called Labyrinth of Refrain that I'm really kind of interested in because it is a dungeon, first person dungeon crawler with combat, very much like a classic Dragon Quest game. And it just doesn't, it has hardly any of the, you know, overworld cinematic cutscene nonsense. You know, there is dialogue and stuff, but you can skip through that. It's really about the best parts of turn based RPG gameplay that I love, you know. And so, oddly enough, um, I'll probably check out some reviews for that. I may end up 
up liking you know this uh, lower budget game uh, far more than uh, than this celebrated recent entry in in a series but uh, one thing that's also really nice about this game that I, that I definitely have to point out is that it works well with remote play if you have a PlayStation Vita um I can play this sitting in the room with my wife while she is watching some British television show that I don't care about, but I just want to spend some extra time with her. You know, we have um, some intentional times throughout the week that we set aside to be together, um, but it's nice to supplement that. You know, sometimes a few days can go by and I feel like, oh man, I haven't, I feel like I haven't seen my wife, been with my wife without my kids in the room at the same time for a few days, and it would be nice to just share some space and maybe exchange a few comments (laughs) now and then when the kids aren't around so um but i don't want to sit through her british shows you know and i want and i want to respect you know what she likes to do to cool down you know after a long day of work so this is an option where i can bum on the couch and use remote play to play this game on my playstation vita screen even though it's running on my playstation 4 in the next room and because it's turn-based the potential lag issues that might show up when i'm doing that aren't really an issue at all um and it's a very casual experience so i can carry on a conversation conversation for most of the situations that I'll be in while playing Dragon Quest XI. Um, I imagine it'll also be good for maybe like some chill out nights with the patrons once a month, the $5 and up patrons for the decompression live stream um, or other live streams that I do. I can see this game being good for being able to keep a game going and then also actually keep my eye on the chat a whole lot more than I'm normally able to, you know. But, um, you know, if I wasn't doing live streams and uh, and if I didn't you know, if I wasn't in particular looking for a, a way to just kind of like chill and do a little something nerdy while I'm sitting next to my wife and she's watching her show or whatever, apart from those things, this game would be a bit of a disappointment, I think. So um, there, are, it's got some great moments and I still, the jury's still out. I really don't know where this thing is, uh, is going to go, but that's where I'm at right now. Um, I want to love it. Right now, I kind of like it. <laughs> and uh, and I guess we'll see what happens as I get further into the game. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. If I was about to forget every comic story I'd ever read, but could first record a message for myself just before the mind wipe, this would be the result. Welcome to Essential Issues, where I talk about my favorite DC comics of the past that are still affordably available today, blabbing about why they're special to me and what, if anything, they have to say about the essential issues of life. Uh, Now, warning up front, this series does freely contain spoilers, but I think even spoiled, the stories that I feature on this series are still well worth reading. For more info about the intent of this series and what to expect from it, you can check out the video on the Christian Geek Central YouTube channel titled Essential Issues Series Introduction. All right, this time around, I want to talk about my pick for the essential introduction to Batman and his origins. Now, this is, oof, it's hard to choose like a definitive origin story for Batman because it keeps being retold in small snippets in so many stories. His origin isn't just what led to his crime-fighting abilities, as is largely the case with many, many other heroes. You know, the Flash uh, gets struck by lightning and hits the chemicals and all that stuff. You know, Green Lantern, he gets a ring and stuff like that. But Batman's origins, uh, as is also the case arguably with Spider-Man, Batman's origin is what motivates his crime fighting. It doesn't just answer the question of how he fights crime, what makes him effective at fighting crime, it answers the question of why he fights crime. It's that iconic imagery of young Bruce Wayne's parents being killed right in front of him, you know? And you can see that imagery brought back briefly in countless Batman stories across all forms of media. Um, So an essential Batman origin story, I think, has to have something else that you're looking for on top of that. Um, You could find stories that 
cover his time overseas training to gain the skills of Batman, but a lot of Batman origin stories use training montage panels well enough to convey that information. Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns is certainly considered the definitive Batman story by many, and it also retraces his origins via flashbacks. Um, it's so, so I think that could be an option. It really rebooted the character like never before, and is largely the basis for how Batman has been written uh, in comics and other media ever since then. But that Batman is also more extreme and arguably a maniac. Uh, he's so disturbed in that story that he's more fascinating to me as a psychological specimen than he is admirable to me as a hero. What makes Batman admirable to me is his driving motivation for justice when it comes up against his human limitations. And that is combined with his origin really well, I think, in Frank Miller's Batman Year One. Uh, now, as a bonus, this story also explores the beginnings of a couple other key characters in Batman's world, including Lieutenant and uh, future Commissioner Jim, Jim or James Gordon, and Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman. I could personally take or leave Catwoman's involvement in the story, but Jim Gordon's story is so strong that I once even saw an amateur college production that adapted only Gordon's story from this work to create a self-contained one-act play. And the script totally worked with only a few brief references to Batman. That's how strong Jim Gordon's story is on its own. So I think this book is a great read. Let's dig into it a little bit. The first page of the book sets up the parallel stories of Jim Gordon and Bruce Wayne as they each enter Gotham by different means, uh, with different thoughts born out of their very different lives. But as the story progresses, we see these two men start to nearly cross paths, leading to a final scene that I won't spoil, but I'll still kind of comment on toward the end, um, shared between them that casts a very interesting interpretive shadow over their entire relationship throughout uh, comic book history. So that's kind of the through line I follow, is the, the parallel stories between these two men. This God Gotham City is an ugly reflection of real-world evils. Uh, it includes child prostitution. It includes uh, police corruption. It's grounded enough that Batman's first night on the town puts him up against common punks stealing a television. And he nearly screws the whole thing up. Um, the, the first comic book stories that were ever published were often about street-level, real-world evils, and Batman is especially suited to tackle those kinds of issues. This story is just a reminder that we live in a broken world, and, and I think that it's that street-level sensibility to a lot of Batman's stories that uh, helps him to continue resonating so strongly with, uh, with me and so many others. Uh, and in this broken world... You know, we've got Batman, this man who appears to be something otherworldly, using fear and superstition to create a legend for himself. The darkness and intimidation tactics that he uses make his maneuvers and technology seem supernatural to the criminals he takes down. And this plays out beautifully in a scene where flashback panels of Batman attacking a group of criminals is contrasted with the exaggerated descriptions of a witness to those events who is convinced Batman is some kind of creature. The art style, while rough um, and, and evocative of the more primitive style in the 1940s comics, I think, is also stylized and uses heavy inks and obscured details to represent the shadowed half-glimpses people typically see of Batman. While the animated adaptation of this story is one of my favorite of the DC animated movies, something I think is lost of the rough nature of the art and how it affects the mood of the story for me. Those who have seen Batman Begins will recognize a few story elements drawn from these pages, including Batman's use of a signaling device to summon a cloud of bats that obscure his presence and allow him to escape a building surrounded by police. Uh, but one of the most memorable story elements to me is Jim Gordon's affair with Detective Essen, which the corrupt police department tried to use against him as blackmail so he would fall in line with their criminal practices. Gordon's only option, if he wanted to continue pursuing honest police work, was to be honest with his wife about the affair. It wrecked his life at home for a while. 
but confessing to his wife also freed him to continue on the right path because the corrupt police department couldn't use that against him anymore. Uh, whether Frank Miller was aware of this or not, he illustrates a vital truth about both evil and confession. Evil wants to hide away and not be exposed. And when we allow ourselves to hang on to secret sins in our habits or thoughts, we prevent ourselves from growing and really experiencing firsthand the tireless grace and forgiveness of Jesus. We become imprisoned and enslaved to secrets and lies that we have to keep perpetuating in our relationships in order to maintain the facade that we are a certain kind of person. But confession and the grace of Jesus, along with a community of believers around us who also understand and apply that grace, that frees us from burdens of shame or keeping up appearances. It hurts to confess, and it can wreck us for a little bit like it does Jim Gordon in this story. But the freedom that comes after uh, allows us to become more and more who God made us to be, just as it allowed Jim Gordon uh, to continue cleaning up the police department and becoming uh, the police officer and eventually the commissioner that we know and admire him as. Uh, now, in case you haven't read it, I won't spoil the details of the final scene shared between Batman and Gordon, but reading it now as a dad, I can see why this interaction built such a loyalty in Gordon toward Batman. And the possible extent of that loyalty is teased as it relates to an age-old question about Gordon's knowledge of Batman. So there you have it, Frank Miller's Batman Year One. Uh, you can get it for only just about 10 bucks on Amazon. I think it's well worth a read. And now, finally, having featured an intro to the DC Universe as a whole, uh, as well as its two most recognizable characters, Superman and Batman, next time, finally, <laughs> we get to talk about one character that's far less recognized, but who happens to be my favorite superhero in all of comics publishing. Next time I will share my thoughts on the essential origin story for Green Lantern. Uh, but right now I'd like to take some time to write a tune for pre-made rhyme. The lyrics kind of never change, but the melody gets rearranged. I never know what I'll create to say how much I appreciate. Libre. Libre. Thank you for supporting me and SBP and CGC. And now to all who hear this tune, thank you as well. Please come back soon. Want to hear your name in song? Check out our page on Patreon! Data collection complete. Activating Musenet 1.0. This week at spiritblade.com, you can find my video newsletter for the month of August. It's uh, gone up, and I share in that the status quo of the Storyteller series and uh, my near future plans for both Spiritblade Productions and Christian Geek Central. Over at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central, I've posted the Extra Life Team Recruitment video. So if you're curious about that at all, um, well, stay tuned because you'll hear that audio in just a, <laughs> just a moment. But if you want the video version, you can check it out on our YouTube channel. Also, my video, Trying Out Dragon Quest Eleven, my trial and error video. There are a few bits in that that I did not talk about in my uh, in, in my talk about the, the, the game just a moment ago, um, as well as a bunch of gameplay footage, of course, that you can see, and you can uh, see me uh, actually getting my butt handed to me <laughs> near the end of that video as well. Um, and then also, you know, I didn't talk at all about the spiritual issues that kind of came up in Dragon Quest Eleven here on the podcast, but I cover a number of those. There's just some interesting, um, just trying to wrap my head around their goddess theology in that game. Uh, so anyway, there's a there's a, a number of that. And I also, I also put timestamps in there, like a, actually detailed timestamps with this one. So if you want, you can put that video on and just click around to the topics that specifically interest you. Um, and then also my video of uh, Batman Year One as part of my Essential Issues series is also at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. Um, that content, of course, also on this episode 
of the podcast, but I feature a bunch of artwork and pages and panels uh, that you can check out to get a sense of uh, a better sense of what the book is uh, for yourself by watching that. Uh, and while you're there, if you want to like, share, and subscribe, and click that notification bell so you theoretically don't miss another one, we'll see if YouTube does a good job with that. Uh, anyway, I'd be very grateful. I'd also be grateful if you'd leave a one or two sentence review of our audio dramas on iTunes or Amazon. Uh, reviews and ratings for this podcast on iTunes or other podcatchers would be great as well and help more people discover this podcast and the Christian Geek Central community. Uh, let's see here. There is a ton of content rolling out all the time from Christian Geek Central. Movie and video game reviews, an ongoing in-depth Bible study with specific geek application, Christian geek industry news, gaming live streams, and just a ton more. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help make sure all that content keeps going and growing in into the future and get yourself some exclusive content as well, depending on your level of support. An exclusive podcast, private live streams, and an influential voice in all that I'm creating. Uh, you find out all you can find out all about the rewards and exclusive content for patrons by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash spiritblade productions. Uh, I've now posted this month's edition of the Pater's Brain Podcast for Spirit Blade Insiders at any tier of support at patreon.com slash spiritblade productions. Patrons at the $5 level and higher get access to the video version of that as well. August had a couple big technical hurdles that brought me some real frustration. First, a problem with iTunes automated systems that caused problems for the description of the CGC podcast on iTunes. Then problems with streaming in a month with not one, but two streaming events, one of which fell flat on its face. Um, so I share my feelings of failure and frustration through all of that in this month's edition of the Pater's Brain podcast for Spirit Blade insiders supporting at any tier. Also, this month's private decompression live stream for patrons the $5 tier and higher will be on Wednesday, September 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Uh, and I do want to say again that I'm so grateful for the support of my Spiritblade insiders who have made it possible for me to continue and stay afloat over the last year. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking this journey with me. Uh, if you'd like to be among those who help make all of my work possible while also getting some exclusive content and rewards again, you can get involved by visiting patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Finally, mark your calendar for November 3rd. I'll give you a moment to do that. And then take a listen to this. November 3rd, November 3rd, Dragon Quest XI and Spider-Man for PS4 are coming out within three days of each other. I'm going to try and review both games. I don't have time to make a brand new Extra Life recruitment bumper. November 3rd. Once again this year, Christian Geek Central is participating in Extra Life. Uh, this is a charity that raises funds for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals, which provides free medical care to children whose families could otherwise not afford it. And this is very often for critical, life-saving treatment. Joining our team only requires a willingness to ask your family and friends to consider donating toward your fundraising efforts. Participants also usually do something fun and game-related to draw attention to their fundraising efforts, like a, a special game night at your home or your church, or like me, you could do a crazy 24-hour video gaming marathon. Now, I'm theming it around video games, but really this, this event can be themed around any kind of gaming, which includes both video games and tabletop games of any kind. What you do to raise funds is entirely up to you, but I would love for you to consider joining the Christian Geek Central Extra Life team. Uh, as team leader, I'll be there to help answer your questions, provide some helpful tips if I can, and just in general be your fundraising cheerleader and try to draw attention myself to your fundraising efforts. You can get more information about the event as a whole at extra-life.org uh, and if you choose to sign up there be sure to select Christian Geek Central as your team so I can get in touch with you and then just help in whatever way I can. Fundraising can begin at any time but our main push is going to be through the month of October leading up to November 3rd. Uh, that's the annual Extra Life game day uh, when I'll be streaming my 24-hour video gaming marathon live and trying to stay awake without throwing up. More details on my live stream as we get closer to it. Uh, that's it for now. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Now, lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. 
Well, right now we're going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language that's easy to take for granted, digging into history and languages when we're able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Now, we're not formally trained in Scripture, just a couple guys using resources and questioning minds to try and get at the truth. And that's something that we can all do, so I hope you'll do that with us. John Wilkerson from the Christian Geek Central community has been joining me for a conversational series looking at the book of Proverbs. We're starting chapter 3 of Proverbs now, so I'll leave it at that and drop in the next part of our conversation here. All right, so let's look at then uh, chapter 3 of Proverbs, verses 1 through 6 to start, which in the ESV reads, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. All right. Mm. Um, so some some familiar verses maybe there at least, yeah. at least for me. Uh, what are your yeah. What are your reactions to uh, to those? Yeah, it's definitely three, five, and six. Chapter three, verses five and six are are very familiar. Uh, I think that was you know, the first. I memorized them in the King James. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the first uh, set of verses I remember being. Uh, instructed to memorize, like as part of a children's Sunday school class or yeah. something. That's like my very first yeah. memory of of uh, verse memorization. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, you know, he starts out saying, uh, "Forget not and keep." You know, again, this action that's required on the part of the hearer. Um, and then in verse two, he talks about how this will add length of days and years of life. We really don't. We really don't think about this too much because we have modern medicine. Um, but when you when you look at how God had commanded Israel to live um, according to uh, the Levitical law, um, there was quite a bit in there that dealt with uh, personal hygiene. Oh yeah. Now now <clears throat> there are historians who will debate whether or not societies around them practice some of the some of the you know some of the same hygiene things or not uh, and I don't want to I don't want to get into that but but I think the important thing is that is that God gives us he doesn't just give us spiritual advice he gives us practical advice at times too and some and sometimes that practical advice will help us to live longer um, but I think there's also the idea of eternal life as well because the way that the the Jews looked at you know you know death was you know they they were talking about spiritual death when 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 they would talk about uh, you know when it will when they say something will lead to death they don't always mean a, a physical death at times it means you know basically going you know Eternal separation from God. We'll put it that way. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to get into any. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here to talk about different ideas of what hell is and what yeah. happens to people when you die. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. We'll just call it eternal separation from God. Let's yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. Sure. Um, and that th- th- that's oftentimes what um, what God was what what Israel had in mind when they said. This will lead you to death, or when God said this will lead you to death, it was not just physical death that He was talking about, but a spiritual death, an eternal death, that uh, that you didn't want want to be uh, subject to. Um, he talks about binding the uh, binding the word around your neck. Um, writing it on the tablet of your heart. Again, more action that is required, not just hearing, more action. Um, and then he talks about the results of that. You'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Yeah. And and I think that's, that's important because um, 
some sometimes people look at the word of God and they think, what is this going to benefit me? You know, okay, yeah. so I'm living a I'm living a holier than thou life. <laughs> you know, we'll just put that in air quotes, right? Yeah, yeah. But what does it benefit me? Um, and I and and God clearly says that He will give you favor, and we can see that even when we look back, when we look at someone like Abraham who was following God. When Abraham was following God, he had favor with the people around him. When he wasn't following God, you know, crazy stuff happened to Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so God will. It's it's hard for us to think to think this way, but sometimes God will supernaturally give us favor with people that, for some reason or another, you're in a situation. And you don't know why that person decided to uh, give you that discount or, uh, you know, let you have that variance on your property when you were trying to build a fence or, or you know, whatever the case may be. You just yeah. – there's no reason for them except to say that, well, God divinely gave you favor. Yeah. And, and, and often we have to, we have to look back and say, oh, I see how God was operating in my life there and he gave me favor. Um, you know, that's not to mean that God's kind of like, okay, clear a path. Here comes my servant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But, but I think you know, I, I, I think it's reasonable to to assume that in some uh, in some circumstances, God gives us favor because we follow Him because because we keep His word hidden in our hearts. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's see here. Verse 1, what was my thought there? Um, oh, yeah, again, I mean, like, you know, we see my son do not forget my teaching. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're far enough into Proverbs, just enough now, that we're starting to see repetition in, uh, in him kind of saying the same things, you know, again, maybe in a different way. And I'm reminded of how like psalm after psalm is like repeats and rehearses and retells the things that God did for Israel the same how many times we got to hear about how God parted the red sea in a psalm you know <laughs> <laughs> and so so much is repeated there but it's because we forget you know so much in scripture is is not about like some new breakthrough information that's never been said anywhere else in scripture it's repetition because we forget you know and i know that i've been through seasons in life when i'm in this exciting season of learning and uh and that's i just kind of get such a, a you know just kind of a, a high off of that that i can reach a point where hearing a sermon in which i learn nothing new is disappointing to me and i think in those moments i need to catch myself and say you know yeah you, you just need to hear this again and think about it again ponder it again turn it over in your mind again and refresh yourself think of you know uh, maybe things you hadn't considered before or maybe just refresh your memory and imprint on your mind the truth of what it is that you're yeah. hearing because like you know like you said earlier we want the stuff imprinted on our hearts and minds so that when the crap hits the fan we have truth ready that is informing yeah. our perspective on the situation and as a result informing how we actually feel about the situation right so so i think this idea of of uh remembering you know should stick with us and and we shouldn't kind of like roll our eyes when um the teacher here or the psalmist elsewhere or wherever is repeating something we've already heard i think that's yeah. a moment to say oh you know, I wonder why God is repeating this so many times. Maybe because it's important. You know? <laughs> Maybe I should, you know, give extra attention to this right now because yeah. of how often it's it's repeated. Um, oh, and you know, my comment earlier about how you know the seeing the character of God through. Uh, the wisdom that he reveals to us about how we ought to operate in the world and stuff. I just saw like an example of that here because the in verse 3, where's verse 3? Uh, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. That that phrase, steadfast love, is the Hebrew word chesed, and it's uh, sometimes it's, I think, loving 
um, loving kindness. Loving kindness is, is yep. translated elsewhere, and it's it's basically the word that's used to describe God's covenant love with His people. Um, it's this very firm, committed love. It's a reliable, mm-hmm. unwavering love uh, that God's people, as we see here, are called to imitate. Most of the time, when I see Chesed, it's saying something about God and his character and stuff. But here he's saying, don't let Chesed depart from you. You know, yeah. you need to, this is something about me. You need to imitate, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that, that really jumped out to me because I'm not used to seeing that word uh, being uh, applied to, to us as his followers. Yeah. Feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com. As a reminder, guys, if you'd like some help finding a a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The, The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. Email me uh, at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. All right. Um, Well, that's it, guys. Stay tuned for DS9 Shwarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week... If God allows it, I'll share my thoughts on the new Spider-Man game releasing today as I record this on PlayStation 4. And uh, also, I'll share my review of The Predator. Is it a sequel, a reboot, both, or just something that's really disappointing for me? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to get my hopes up, but we shall see. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade Insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash Productions. You can also help this work by leaving a positive review of the Christian Geek Central podcast on iTunes or other podcast services. Just one or two sentences is all it takes, and it's a great way to help us grow and offer more content to more people. Thanks so much for making time for this show guys i hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the christian geek central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth the christian geek central podcast is a community supported endeavor of spirit blade productions this podcast is produced by painter fremson with support from the christian geek central community at christiangeekcentral.com For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. Something's coming through the wormhole. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. Oh, that was called to arms. And it is delightfully glorious! The season five finale which leads right into what I think is one of the best moments in all of Star Trek, certainly the best mo- some of the best moments in Deep Space Nine. What I what the seven-part episode I call Deep Space Nine the movie. This was the introduction that led to that and we'll explain what that is at, as we get on. Um, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen this episode, this is a major turn I mean one of the most important turning points. You can't talk about this without spoilers. So, so if beware. you if you do want to be surprised, stop now cuz we're going to go into details and you have no one to blame but yourself. Okay, well, if you remember last time we were talking about how there's a sense of impending war, 
Well, we're done doing odd jobs for baseball cards. Now we're going to talk about the impending war. The Dominion has been sp- uh, sending ships to, to Cardassia. Dozens and dozens of ships every week. And we just, see one of these shipments, and just one is enough to pucker anybody's wormhole. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and these are weekly shipments, so... Uh, so finally they decide we have to stop this. And now granted, this is part of the weak point, is they come up with what's basically magic. They say that we make cloaked mines that are self-replicating. We put a replicator and a cloak on them. Um, if you think about any sense of just basic logic and science, this wouldn't work. You, where are they going to have the material to replicate from or the energy? So it's magic. But really all that matters is they block off the wormhole. So now no one else can come in from the Gamma Quadrant. So the Dominion and Cardassia, all they have are the massive buildup they've been getting until now, or the shipyards that they've started to build. And so war is coming. And we, we have some saber-rattling, we have negotiations, and all, but eventually it comes to war. But what's great about this show, and this is the strength of Deep Space Nine, is this could be so easy to just turn it into a plot. This could just be... You know, the battle, and there is lots of great battle. There are some great special yeah, effects. They could have so easily turned this into over in 45 minutes, or even just a cliffhanger for the next season. Well, it's not even just that. I mean, there is that too, but they also, they take their time. This is full of character stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, things that you wouldn't even think about, like uh, Rom and Quark, and how they deal with this as brothers. You know, you don't think about that. Although they have a brother relationship that's been up and down all over the place. Yeah, we have time for little moments with Odo and Kira, Jake and his father. Jake and Bashir get a moment. Yeah, remember remember, mean, remember when they were in the the war hospital together all the way back in season four? We, fly, we, we Without even doing it overtly, we allude back to that because yeah. he's helping in the infirmary. I mean, they, they basically make sure that every character gets a moment. They make sure that... Everything is clearly established, what the status quo is, so now we can flip that upside down and dump it out. So, and and we find out at the end, Worf and De- Jadzia are going to get married now, they're officially engaged, um, but we're going to wait until, well, here, uh, before we go into it, we got to tell you where this ends. We end with the Dominion taking over the station. And it's it's shot so well, we see Dukat and Wayun and their cronies just marching down the promenade. All the bad guys lined up. To, it's uh, it's kind of like, did you, if you ever saw the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and say what you want about that movie, but this scene at least, and I, I like that movie overall, but this scene especially, when you have the three bad guys and the three good guys, and they line up and they face each other. This is, I wouldn't even be surprised if that scene was inspired by this, because it's just, and it's and it's uh, Odo, Kira, and Quark, who are the representatives of all the non-Federation people, who are staying behind, except for Garrick, because Garrick would be killed by Dukat instantly. Yeah. He goes with the Starfleet people. So now our crew has been split. You have, like I said, Kira, Odo, um, Cork, and uh, some other people. Jake stays behind to be a civilian reporter. Because Jake's an idiot. Jake's an idiot, but it is an interesting wrinkle. He's the only person in the Federation who stayed behind, because he's counting on the fact that, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, remember that non-aggression treaty that everyone was against? Last episode, this time Cisco says you guys need to sign that treaty because they know we cannot hold this station. We will lose. The Federation cannot promise to protect you in this war. The only you need to you need to sign a non-aggression treaty with the Dominion. Yeah, the only way to the only way to be able to survive the Nazi Blitzkrieg is to sign the treaty with them. Yep. To be a quote-unquote traitor in order to keep yourselves alive. Because it's just, you guys got to stall. And, again, say what you will, an interesting wrinkle is these are not must, all mustache-twirling villains. Dukat is excited, thinking, oh, finally, I get a rule rough shot over Bajor again. Get my revenge on them for kicking us out. And Wayun jerks his chain and says, yeah. uh-uh-uh, you don't get to mess with Bajor. Yeah. They're, they're a dominion now. They're your ally. They're our ally. You are going to leave them alone. And I'll, I'll just give you a spoiler for the future. They do. The Dominion is actually very decent to Bajor. Um, I mean, it, it's it's really interesting. It's not. It's not. They're not just the Empire. Well, and that's part of the part of the awfulness of the end of this episode is not just that they lose the station, and you see the Defiant flying away, and you know Cisco and all them, you know, basically running off into exile. 
to continue the war elsewhere. Yeah. Now, now. By the way, yeah, we are officially at open war. Not just right. a skirmish here and there, but like as open as World War Two. But even worse than that, you've got folks like Kira and Quark remaining behind, who are going to have to play along. Yeah, Kira. Under the thumb of Dukat, Kira is going to have to answer to Dukat and take it. And yeah, she has to officially welcome them. Yes, she has to. She has to put up with his. Crap, <laughs> and you know, he he just kind of, and and he's you can tell he's loving it. Oh yeah, he is he is soaking this up. Well, because to him, Kira is like the representation of everything about Bajor he hated, all the rebelliousness and stubbornness and unwillingness. And now he gets to force her to 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 deal with his every petty whim. And like I say, and that's just one of the many many there's so many. Like I say, Garrick is now openly with the Starfleet people. Mm-hmm. Um, Cisco is coming to terms with the fact that he he didn't want to be here, and now he's forced to leave. Um, Rom and Lita Ro- are officially married. Rom and Lita got married, and but then she had to go to Bajor, and he stayed behind. He's working as a spy for the Federation. Like I say, it's just it's the kind of thing that if you love all the shuffling and the status quo being changed, that's what this is. And they don't just undo it. It will eventually be returned, but not exactly as it was before. And it'll take a while to be returned. We're, we're going to have six more episodes before things actually go back to anything near the status quo. So we take our time and explore this. Oh, yeah. There's going to be good episodes and bad episodes in this six, uh, six episodes to come. But mostly good. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it's, there's so much that there's even bad ones in there. Uh, it's just... It, it's just this delicious, multi-course meal of Star Trek war awesomeness. Yes. Yeah, and it's also nice because for a change, we didn't have a last minute, someone did just pull us out of the fire, a, a godlike alien didn't come down and stop our war, you know, nothing happened. No, like, no we went time, to war. The full consequences are coming. And that is Deep Space Nine, consequences. Yep. We do something here, and it happens. And you could argue whether Cisco made things better or worse in the long run, but largely because of the things Cisco has done, here's where we are. We are at open war. So that's it for season five. It's it for season five. Now we move into what I think is easily the strongest season of Deep Space Nine and possibly one of the strongest seasons of all Star Trek, season six. We'll see you at the start of that one.